after James Webb gets launched, it's going to find all kinds of fantastic things and enhance our understanding of habitability. But what are the real measurements that it needs to make to tell us that these planets may be habitable? Any information we can get is, is you know, really going to help us move forward in our understanding of the universe, really. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jim Green, Chief Scientist at NASA, and this is Gravity Assist. On this season of Gravity Assist, we're looking for life beyond Earth. I'm here with Dr. Nicole Cologne, and she is a research scientist, an astrophysicist at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center, where she leads projects on the search for planets outside the solar system using the test spacecraft and also planning for the upcoming James Webb Space Telescope. Welcome, Nicole, to Gravity Assist. Thanks for having me. Nicole, why are you so excited about exoplanets in particular? I love exoplanets. I love thinking about exoplanets and what they could be made of, you know, what their surfaces could be like, what kind of clouds they have, what the plant life they have, you know. I think all of that is fascinating because, you know, we have eight planets in our solar system plus a lot of other small bodies. And now we know of thousands of exoplanets. So that's just a vast number. And so far, they all seem really different. So that's why I'm excited constantly to learn more and more and more about them. Well, you know, I grew up uh, in the uh, 60s uh, and we didn't really have a good view of the, of the Earth until Apollo 8 when we saw the Earth rise above the moon. And it completely changed my worldview to where I understood this was my home and it is a planet and it can be compared against the others. And it really changed my perspective. So you've grown up with that perspective already. That's right. It's and, you know, I mean, I, I still was born before any exoplanets had been discovered. <laughs> so I remember, you know, vaguely a time before exoplanets. <laughs> but I definitely grew up, you know, knowing that it wasn't science fiction anymore. There really were exoplanets out there. And, you know, we probably are not alone. <laughs> right. And, and one of them might look like the beautiful blue marble we call Earth. Well, you know, we've used a variety of telescopes, and you in particular have used ground-based in addition to the space-based telescopes, both optical and near-infrared, to look for planets. You know, telescopes like the kilodegree extremely little telescope, transit survey telescope, has really been used by you and your group. Can you, can you tell me more about this ground-based telescope and what are you looking for? Sure. The Kelp Transit Survey is this really fun project I became involved in about seven years ago. And the goal of this survey was to find giant planets around bright stars to understand just how common these types of planets are because we don't really have planets like these in our own solar system. These are planets that orbit within just a few days. So their year is a few days long, if you want to think about it like that. And with the Kelt survey, it's, it's actually a really cute little telescope, hence the name. You know, we said it's called the kilodegree extremely little telescope for a reason. It basically uses cameras with 
a 42 millimeter, which is about 1.6 inch aperture. And it's looking for transits, which is really just measuring the brightness of stars and looking for periodic dips in their brightness. And that dip tells us that there's a planet there around that star and that we can see that from our point of view all the way on Earth. So when did you start observing with this telescope and and how many planets have you found? The KELT survey in total has found 26 exoplanets. Um, I So I joined the survey probably about halfway through. Um, so it, it operated uh, for about 14, 15 years. And wow. um, yeah, it's quite a long, long journey. Um, but actually, it just recently shut down operations. And that was partly because of the success of the test satellite, the ah. all-sky transiting exoplanet survey satellite. So Kelt, you know, was was really powerful in its heyday. <laughs> but now test kind of took over, but that's okay. Well, before you got involved in TESS, you were involved in another spectacular exoplanet mission, and that was the Kepler Space Telescope. In fact, uh, Kepler lasted um, uh, far longer than its, uh, what we call its nominal mission. Uh, and, and it made all kinds of, you know, planet observations, thousands of planets now. So what discovery that Kepler made got you really excited? What was the most exciting discovery in, in your opinion? Yeah, for, for me, I think I'd have to say it was the discovery of the first circumbinary planet. So this was called Kepler-16b. And this is a planet that orbits around two stars. And to me, you know, it's one thing to imagine that in science fiction, you know, in Star Wars, right? That's right. <laughs> but Tatooine. to have direct evidence from the Kepler mission of, you know, such a planetary system was so exciting. And now we've discovered a bunch more circumbinary planets. So it's just all the more exciting. Right. We shouldn't be. Yeah, we should expect the unexpected when it comes to these things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kurt, well, you know, you've also been a member of the Hubble Space Telescope uh, uh, science team. And what were some of your activities with that team and how did you get involved with HST? Yeah, so a couple years ago, um, I ended up working, I moved from NASA Ames and working on Kepler to NASA Goddard. And I... Again, the opportunity kind of fell in my lap to work on the Hubble team, um, partly because I have an exoplanet background, you know, and and the current team didn't have anyone with that particular expertise. So I was there to really um, do a lot of outreach, um, both in terms of the public and the scientific community. And, you know, first of all, let people know that Hubble was still going strong after, you know, 30 years in space, um, for one. So that was a big part of it. Um, But also just making sure that that the scientific community had the resources they needed to collect and analyze data from Hubble and, you know, with a particular mindset towards exoplanet science in my role. Now you're involved in the TESS mission. Tell us more about TESS. Yes. <laughs> There's so many exciting missions right now. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, TESS is really, um, you know, it, it's building on Kepler's legacy. Um, so Kepler discovered thousands of exoplanets. But TESS now, it's been up in space um, since 2018. So we just had the two-year anniversary of its launch. And in that time, it's discovered 
also hundreds to actually over a thousand candidate planets right now as well, too. But the difference with Kepler is that it's discovering a lot of these planets around bright nearby stars. So stars that we can follow up then with other facilities like Hubble and really characterize these planets in detail and study their atmospheres. So indeed, uh, Kepler looked at planets around stars that are very far away. And with the bright stars, which is what Tess is looking for, these are typically closer to the Earth. Are there any planets that are emerging from the test surveys that are exciting you? Definitely. <laughs> I, I may be a little biased here, but I will say um, one of the most exciting discoveries um, was one that um, a team I am part of made. And it, it, it's a three-planet system around a small star, but one of the planets is smaller than Earth. And it's just incredible, you know, that we're seeing that around these bright nearby stars. And, you know, they've already, they're already being studied with the Hubble telescope as well to start to get a glimpse of what their atmosphere um, may uh, be composed of. Well, you know, as you say, uh, these kind of uh, space telescopes will see these transits. That means watch the light of a star go down and then go back up because the planet moves in front of that star. Uh, but what we really like to do is confirm that. And that means figure out that orbit and then watch it happen again. Kepler observed so many planets and we were able with Kepler to determine the distribution of planets. Were there any surprises that came out of that? So my goal in being an exoplanet scientist has been to understand how common planets are um, from our own solar system. So, you know, how common are Jupiters? How common are Earths, right? But Kepler comes along and says, wait a minute, the most common size planet is actually like smaller than Neptune in our own solar system. So it's between the size of Earth and Neptune. And we have nothing like that in our solar system. So how is it that the most common size planet is not found in our solar system? I just... You know, that blows my mind. And that means we have so much more to learn. Yeah, actually, that was a big surprise for me, too. You know, I, approaching it as a planetary scientist, I thought, OK, you know, when 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 nebulas collapse, we're going to get stars. But there are also going to be some big planets. I would have thought there would be a lot of Jupiters. But that isn't the case. These bigger planets that you call, you know, super Earths, we, you know, or mini Neptunes that are between the size of Earth and Neptune uh, really are these new planets that are so exciting to study. Well, you mentioned uh, this, uh, this uh, new type of planet. Is that what I would call your favorite type of planet that you're looking for, a super Earth? You know, it's one of them. <laughs> I have a lot of favorites. <laughs> um, that is certainly one just because it is so different from our solar system. But there is kind of another emerging class that um, that I'm pretty interested in. And these are what are called extremely low density planets or I like to just call them puffy planets <laughs> where they're so low density. Imagine having the density of styrofoam, basically. And that's what we're talking about here. And they're Jupiter in size, though. So it's kind of deceiving. You know, you think, oh, they're just giant planets, but then they have really low masses. And I'm curious to know, how do these guys form and, you know, evolve and 
retain this really fluffy atmosphere because that's presumably, you know, what's happening here. So finding that's that right. out is is mm-hmm. interesting. <laughs> yeah. Indeed, you know, Jupiter, you know, if it was a big uh, uh, a fishbowl, uh, you could put uh, a thousand Earths in that fishbowl. And yet Jupiter, its mass is only about 300 times the mass of the Earth. So that means its density is much less than Earth's. So there's something about what's in the core, what the composition of that is, whether there's rocky material there or not. And so there's a lot of physics yet in terms of planetary formation that these puffy large planets will tell us about. Absolutely. Well, another activity that you're very much involved in is our new fantastic telescope, the James Webb Space Telescope. What's your role in in that particular mission? Yeah, I'm very excited to have this role. Um, It basically revolves around everything exoplanets. (laughs) So um, I engage with the community on all things exoplanets, both in terms of doing public outreach, but also really communicating with scientists about, you know, how Webb can study exoplanets and and how it's already being planned to study exoplanets. So so we already have programs in the works to study exoplanets. So making sure they're aware of, you know, what's in the plan for its first year of science, for instance. And uh, really, I also work with the rest of the Webb team to make sure that we have all the necessary tools in place to analyze that exoplanet data once we get it so that we can be sure to extract the scientific results and learn from them. You know, that's the end goal. It's basically going to be able to access these long infrared wavelengths that we cannot currently access with space telescopes. And not only that, but it has improved sensitivity. So we can make really, um, you know, these these measurements of really small signals, for instance, from atmospheres of exoplanets. Um, but beyond you know, science and and um, those types of observational capabilities, it's really neat to think about the technical technological aspects of Webb. I mean, Webb has this huge 6.5 meter primary mirror, and it's actually made up of 18 separate segments that will unfold after the telescope launches, and then they'll serve as a single mirror. So, you know, that whole unfolding in space thing is really fascinating <laughs> and making sure it works, you know, is a whole nother game. And then not to mention Webb also has a sun shield that's literally the size of a tennis court. And that's going to help keep Webb cool so that it can make these really sensitive measurements. So, you know, all these different special kind of components come together to make sure we can do some really um, groundbreaking science. Yeah, so Webb is the largest space telescope that we've ever put into orbit. And it should be absolutely fantastic in terms of its ability to see different objects. You know, in that infrared range, anything that's in space that's hot will generate a signal it can see. And so, you know, uh, all our planets are still cooling off from when they were, when they were made 4.6 billion years ago. So I'm, I'm, I'm too really excited about what Webb can do, not only looking within our solar system, but well looking out in, in, at a variety of exoplanets. So what do you think the biggest contribution Webb's going to be making in terms of looking at these exoplanets? Webb is going to look at really a variety of planets, um, you know, ranging from ones as small as Earth 
that orbit stars much smaller than our own sun uh, to giant planets that orbit giant stars. So I think Webb is, you know, really going to be able to give us new information beyond what Hubble has given us already. So with Webb, we're going to be able to look for concrete evidence of methane, carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, these types of chemicals in exoplanet atmospheres. And these are really important to understand, you know, how do these exoplanets form? How do their atmospheres form? How do they evolve? Um, Because all of this, you know, again, helps us with that journey to understand our own solar system planets. So any information we can get is, is, you know, really going to help us move forward in our understanding of the universe, really. (laughs) So indeed, if Webb sees these exoplanets and their atmospheres, what is, what will it be looking for in the infrared? Yeah, so there's actually two um, two ways that Webb looks at exoplanets. And so we already talked about the one where Webb will look at transiting exoplanets. So Webb will see a planet pass in front of, or sometimes it looks when it passes, when the planet passes behind the star. And in that case, either way, you're measuring the dip in brightness uh, from this system And then you're extracting that information as a function of wavelength of light. And so in the infrared, you end up looking for basically dips in the in the light um, that is telling you, oh, there's methane absorbing in the atmosphere of this planet. And that's something that we can see with Webb. And we can do this for all size exoplanets from giant ones to small ones. So, you know, that's that's really exciting. And Webb will be able to do that for a lot of planets. But then on the flip side, Webb also has the ability to take direct images of planets. So it's basically like someone might take a picture, you know, with the camera on their phone. (laughs) Of course, though, the instruments on Webb are designed differently so that when you're taking a picture of a star with the planet, the instrument is designed so you suppress that starlight because it's super bright compared to the planet. And you just want that faint little glow from the planet. And that's what we're trying to get at here. And from that, similarly, you can say, oh, is there methane, carbon dioxide, whatnot in the atmosphere from that little pale dot? (laughs) The difficulty, of course, is that the atmospheres of rocky planets are really, really thin. And so Webb, you know, will be able to provide We'll say, you know, like a first glimpse in the into the atmospheres of rocky small planets that might be also the right temperature to have liquid water on their surface and might be, you know, the right conditions to have life on their surface. Um, but I think, you know, Webb is really the first step in a journey here um, where we have future telescopes, you know, being um, designed right now and, and considered uh, that might be built that could really push the boundaries even further and provide us with um, that really definitive evidence of, okay, this has an atmosphere conducive to life. Well, that's really exciting. Do you, do you personally think there's life beyond Earth? You know, I do. <laughs> I do think that. Um, I have no idea what type of life there could be, you know, if it's anything whatsoever like what's found on Earth. But at the same time, Earth has so many different types of life that exists in so many different environments that I I just don't see how there can't be life outside of Earth, you know, and maybe we'll discover it in my lifetime. (laughs) One can hope. 
but no, we've got to be able to do that. You know, we're hot on the trail, that's right. so don't give up. Get going and let's do that. Well, you know, Nicole, I always like to ask my guests to tell me what was that event or person, place, or thing that happened to them that got them so excited that they became the scientists they are today. I call that event a gravity assist. So, Nicole, what was your gravity assist? Is it okay if I give two answers? <laughs> of course. Okay. Yes, sometimes we all need a little extra. Yeah, well, I mean, for me, it was kind of two simultaneous events. Um, and really, it boils down to being a young teenager. And I fell in love with science fiction at the same time that my dad started encouraging me to have an interest in astronomy. And his interest came from the fact that he was just interested in everything. <laughs> so, you know, he he saw I started liking science fiction and, you know, certain movies really, really inspired me. <laughs> and uh, he, he encouraged me um, to pursue astronomy. And, you know, those things really had me excited about the idea of being a scientist. And now to this day, I still am excited about being a scientist. So I guess, you know, it all worked out. <laughs> Well, I can see now, as you say, the, the science fiction part of it, why you were so excited to find Tatooine, <laughs> you know, uh, well, a, a, a planet orbiting two stars. But I had heard that you were really excited about the book that Carl Sagan wrote, Contact, and then the subsequent movie about finding life beyond Earth. Yes, <laughs> 100%. That is, you know, what? one of the first books and movies that just you know, really floored me. I mean, I was wondering, you know, what would it really be like if we found life? How would humanity react? How would we communicate with them? You know, could I actually do something like this myself, you know, when I grow up? <laughs> and here I am, you know, however, however many years later, right. working on that goal That's with right. Tess and Webb. <laughs> Indeed. Actually, you're right. We need to also start thinking ahead a little bit of what has to happen or what will happen when we announce for sure that there is life beyond Earth and, and um, how we're going to explain it, how we're going to interact with the public, what we think their interactions will be, their reactions, and try to anticipate those. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. You know, that's why I hope I'm around <laughs> when that happens, too, in my lifetime. <laughs> well, well, just make it happen. Uh, I want you to do that. I want you to find it. <laughs> I'll work on that. All right. Well, good. Great. Well, Nicole, thanks so much. I really enjoyed talking to you today about all your vast experience and the progress that we're making and looking for life beyond Earth with exoplanets. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking with you. Well, join me next time as we continue our journey to look for life beyond Earth. I'm Jim Green, and this is your Gravity Assist.